Well, good morning. My name is Sandy Asker, and I am one of the pastors here. And today, I would say, is like many of the Sundays that have occurred recently. And as I come to the text, and as I see what we've been planning for weeks and even months, and I think, wow, the timing of this message is a challenge to give, and yet a message that we need to hear today. This week, I have been reading more about the intersection of Christianity with American politics, perhaps more than I ever have in my life. And the debate is on how we as followers of Jesus will follow Jesus in these days ahead. And I will say that there are some extremely different views on how to do that. And what is the role of a church in the midst of this? Brian and I and our team have been planting this new church for over a year. And as we have talked about the last few weeks, what is the purpose of Crossview? Why are we here? What is the big C, uh, the big C church's role in the midst of all of that is going around of us? Well, thankfully, our mission does not change regardless of circumstances. A few weeks ago, we talked about how our role is what Jesus gave us in the Great Commission that we are to make disciples of all nations. That hasn't changed since Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. We talked about how the early church took Jesus' words, listened and put them into practice in pretty fairly straightforward ways. They worshiped, they invited people as they worshiped in small groups, they were radically generous, and they served. Now, Jesus made it very clear But that doesn't mean it's easy, right? (laughs) Just because it's clear and we have clarity in the midst of a confusing day, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Today, what we are looking at in Ephesians is the word unity, the word humility. And again, as I think about what's going on around us, what words that are challenging, (laughs) I'm not sure what other words could be more challenging today. John 17, Jesus says that we're to be unified in Jesus. He says completely unified. And by that unity, the love that God the Father had for Jesus and Jesus passed on to us, that is what we can have alive in us, in our church, and that it's a witness to the world. John 17, 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. That's quite a mission. That's quite a responsibility. That's quite a calling that Jesus gives us. And I must say, uh, all of us have probably participated in not fulfilling that mission super well these days. And I think that the world is noticing And that grieves us. We've prayed about that this morning here in the room. It grieves us. Our text today is in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 was a church, a new church, trying to figure out this mystery that God did not just save Jesus for Israel. That God didn't just have a plan for the Jews. And in fact, Jesus broke down the dividing wall and he wanted to create a church that was unified. Now for us, even our divisions today, I don't think we can completely understand how the Jewish-Gentile divide, how deeply ingrained it was into their culture, their education, into their, their economy, their food laws, how they interacted with one another. It was a great chasm between these two cultures. And yet, Ephesians 1 says, Jesus made known to us 
the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Now, it does say when all things reach their fulfillment. So there's a sense that one day there will be this complete unity, and yet we also know that we're called to live that out here before eternity. It says all things and under Christ. Somehow, in God's great goodness and in his godly ways, God will bring all things under the rule of Christ and bring unity. That's good news for me today. Because sometimes all we can see are the divisions and the fractures. The truth is that one day, Christ will be the head of all things. And that God has this plan that in the church, this body of believers, however that works out all over the planet, it's different. But that the church is the place where God will bring believers together. Despite our differences. That's what the good news is. The good news is not just about Jesus saves my soul and takes care of my sin. The good news also is that he's reconciling us to one another. Ephesians 1:22 says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I haven't figured this all out as I've been working on this message, reading Ephesians, reading commentaries, reading the news, reading Twitter, reading what's happening in the world, thoughtful uh, discourse, even things that have happened 100 years ago. What do we do when we find that we are different and we disagree about some pretty major issues? What do we do? I haven't figured it out, okay? <laughs> I am not an expert on this, all right? But I do know that my job is to point us to Scripture. And so today, the passage that we will rest in is Ephesians 4, starting verse 1. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you promised us that when you left earth, that you would leave the Spirit to remind us of your teaching. Jesus, you promised us your Spirit would be our comforter, that it would be our defender and guide. Jesus, you promised this. God, you promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so we cling to that truth today. And as we read, Lord, as we think about the state of our nation, as we think about the state of the planet, Lord, how we need you, how people need you. And Lord, would you speak through your word today? Amen. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, that seems simple enough, right? I mean, the word completely just makes it so easy to be completely humble and gentle. I just can't believe, like, thank you so much, Paul. <clears throat> He's not leaving any wiggle room out. Not like when it's convenient or when you, like, really figure it out. No, completely. It also says then. That word then in there could also be, like, therefore. This is important because Paul is saying everything that I've been saying in Ephesians is the reason I'm about to give you these commands. It means like consequently. Paul has been talking about the gospel. He's been talking about this mystery. He's been talking about how the dividing wall of hostility has been uh, abolished and that Christ has come to bring two things that were separate now together. It's talked about how even when they were Far from God, Jesus has brought them near. 
And because of that good news, Paul says, we are to be humble, modest, that we'd appreciate our own shortcomings, one of the definitions I read said. A humble opinion of self. And then the word gentle, that we'd be mild or meek. We talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are meek. It calls us to be completely patient. Old English might say long-suffering. There's a constancy, a perseverance, and steadfastness. That last phrase, that we would bear with one another in love. Bearing, it means that we're holding one another up, that there is some strength that has to come along with this. There's an endurance, and we do that because we love one another. When I think about how we are to to enter this section, this passage, and it calls us to humility, I think about what Paul has said. And in chapter 2, he's given them a pretty good reason for humility. It says in chapter 2, when he's talking about the differences between the Gentiles and the believers, all of us also lived among them at one time. We too gratified the cravings of our flesh. We followed its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In essence, Paul's saying, all of us at one time were apart from God, whether or not we were a Jew or not. All of us had that time where we did not understand. And then it says in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Perhaps a gentle reminder to all of those listening and reading this letter For humility. Sometimes it's easy to look outside there and go, well, I'm so much better than that person, or oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that, or wow, they really are stupid. (laughs) And Paul might say to us, ah, remember? You too have had moments like that, or you once were separated from God and you lived a broken life. As Jesus reconciles us to himself, would would we never forget that we needed to be reconciled, that we too lived apart from God. And if we can be mindful of what God has done for us, perhaps that would help us as we engage with one another and we need patience and perseverance. Continuing on in Ephesians 4, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is the one that really cooks my noodle this week. Uh, When I have been reading people from all over the place, I've read accounts of people who are in D.C. peacefully protesting. I've read and watched the videos of people who are not peacefully protesting and everyone in between, right? We've all seen the signs. We've all talked about it. We've all seen how the church has been brought into the heart of the debate in our country. And then we come to this verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort does not mean when it's convenient, as as it kind of happens, as you talk with people who agree with you. This means, in Greek, it actually means to quickly work at it, to hasten, to exert ourselves. And again, kind of an old English term, endeavor. Now, I've been studying Proverbs the month of January with my small group, and I have to say that oftentimes the fool versus the wise person is the contrast in Proverbs. Oftentimes the fool is the one who's quick 
to cause trouble. And those who are wise, they stay calmer. They are making every effort to maintain unity. And oftentimes, in the book of Proverbs at least, it's connected to anger. It is hard these days when we're talking about important issues. We're not talking about just the weeds, right? Like, oh, those are just peripheral issues. This isn't a big deal. Like, we're talking about really important issues that cut to people's heart, things that are scriptural, right, that we disagree on, even within the church. We can talk about right now race. Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, right? We can talk about the recent executions. We can talk about how abortion is handled in this country, climate change, economics, the <laughs> economics, how COVID has been handled, whether or not our kids are going back to school, and how the lockdown has affected small businesses. These things matter. These things, it's hard when you're talking about them to stay home. I mean, really, without the Spirit, we are lost. But Ephesians calls us to fight for unity, not fight one another. Paul gives us a reason for this in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. That's so interesting to me. There's one God, one King. And yet this one God is going to be God of every single soul that has ever lived and ever has. He is the God over all of creation, over every nation, every planet, every language of, that has ever existed. Every civilization. One God. That is what brings us unity. We are one body. If we bow the knee to Jesus, the truth is we are one. The Lord has the power. He is the one who gives us grace and calls us out of the darkness. And why? Because he died, he took it on himself, and he came out of that grave. And then he commanded the disciples to go and make disciples of that truth, of all nations. Verse 7 says, to each one of us, now this is what's crazy, right? It's one Lord over all things, and then Paul comes back to the individual. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, <clears throat> this is a quote from a psalm. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, there's a lot in here that could lead us down some rabbit trails. It's a section of Ephesians that quotes a psalm and is likely pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection and his giving of spiritual gifts. That's how I'm going to uh, summarize the first few verses. And then there's this beautiful section where it talks about Jesus giving us individuals, because he does care about the individual as well as the nations, gives us individuals, gifts. And why does he give the gifts? It's for the benefit of the church. 
it's for our benefit. Yes, definitely benefits the world, but in this section, it's talking about how it benefits one another. It tells us that it equips us for works of service to the goal that we would one day be unified in faith and knowledge. How I use my gifts affects you. How you use your gifts affects me and my maturity. Now, one of my spiritual gifts is evangelism. I love talking to people about Jesus who don't yet know him. And it took me years, I will confess, to really understand how that does any of you any good. <laughs> like, I really didn't understand it. I just, I'd rather, like, be out there and then tell you stories maybe about it, but then, like, slingshot me back out there, right? Well, just this last week, I got a text that reminds me of how my spiritual gift of evangelism equips the church. And this person said, whenever you tell stories or whenever we start talking about evangelism, I get excited because you're excited. And it makes me want to share my faith, even though it's not one of my gifts. Now, you might not be gifted in evangelism, but whatever you are gifted in, as you use it, you encourage other people. You build me up. You edify me. And the end goal is unity in the faith and in knowledge. Verse 12 is interesting. I could preach a whole sermon on this, I think. I ran into this word in Greek. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Katartismos. Let's go with that. It starts with a K. This is the only place in the whole New Testament that it's used, which I think is interesting. That doesn't happen very often. And a commentary that I was reading talked about how this word is used in other writings at the time to talk about how when you break a bone and it needs to get set back into place, this word is used. Or if you have a broken fishing net and you have to stitch it to make it whole again. That is the word. We are a broken people in a broken church. But as we use our gifts by God's grace and through his spirit, what is broken can be whole. That is what the world needs. And if we do not have humility and gentleness in the midst of that, it is going to go sideways real quick. I don't have a lot of answers as I studied this passage today, uh, confidently telling you like what you should do or not do with this passage, but I do think that it starts with humility. And for me, as we studied the Sermon on the Mount, I was continually convicted by Jesus' teaching for me to deal with the plank in my own eye before I deal with the speck in yours. And I think that humility helps me with that, or vice versa. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think that that's what Paul's talking about when we think about our spiritual gifts, as we think about living in the church, as we think about being unified, building each other up, working things back together that were broken. As I think better of you than myself, as I realize, man, I was lost and now I'm found, praise the Lord for his grace, humility. Oh man, we need humility, don't we? Humility at Crossview is one of the core values when you look at uh, entering in the church as members, as we talk about it as a staff team and as pastors. Humility is one of those values that we talk about, that we appreciate definitely in one another. So this word unity, 
I cannot preach the sermon today in this climate and not say a word about this word unity. Anybody read about how people are valuing unity in these days and calling for unity and then other people were saying, um, really you're calling for unity after years of divisions and wall building? Like this feels a little cheap, right? Not to point out because I think a lot of sides are talking about unity. And in fact, as I thought about Dr. King Day tomorrow, one of the articles that I read is one of the ways that we can honor Dr. King is by pursuing unity. And at the same time, I can click on another article about people of color who are just laughing in the face of unity and saying, you're calling for unity after the year we've just had? How can you expect me to believe you? Well, in Ephesians, when we look about what does this word unity mean, it means a common faith. It means that we believe that Jesus is Lord. Again, that his death and, the resurrec- his death and resurrection was sufficient for all those who come to him and receive forgiveness. It's open for all who believe. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. It's not Jew, it's not Gentile, it's not this kind of people or that kind of people, it's not this country or that country. It's everyone. Everyone is invited. And as we continue this series, I'm thinking about the mission of the church. I wonder what would happen when we talk about unity if we talked about what is the mission of the church? Can we agree on that? Can we agree that the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations? If we could start agreeing on that, man, what might happen? We don't honor Dr. King tomorrow because he's perfect or because he's our savior, but we do set aside a day in the United States because he helped us as believers back in his day and still today to consider what does it look like to follow Jesus in a country where the law says we should be separate. And Ephesians would say, that's not God's law. God's law is not to separate. God's good news is that he brings us together through Christ, through Christ. And as we consider the divisions in our country, this is no easy task, is it? (laughs) I, I don't know what the answers are completely because there are some really like deep divisions within the church even on what the mission of the church is some days. I've read that true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. How do you talk about unity without justice? Brene Brown just put out a podcast, how can you have unity without accountability? There's some truth in that. What does it mean that Ephesians calls us to unity? The book of John says that the world will know us because we love one another. Ephesians calls us to be completely humble, using our spiritual gifts until we reach unity. I would hope that within Crossview that we could agree that our mission is to make disciples of all nations. The reason that Rosa Parks is being started is because people don't know that God loves, God loves them. We are calling people to the same calling that we have, that we would live a life worthy of that calling. Perhaps your response today to this passage might be where I landed. I kept thinking about 1 Chronicles 7, verse 14. Do you guys know this verse? Then if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. So as we close today, perhaps you would join me 
in simply humbling ourselves before the Lord and admitting perhaps where we have not helped the unity of all believers, where we have contributed with anger, where we have not hastened uh, to create unity, but instead division. So I'm going to give us just a minute of silence, and then I will close us in prayer. Lord, you have called us to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. You've called us to be completely humble and gentle, patient to bear one another in love. And God, I confess I have not always done that. Within my own family, with friends, Lord, in my own heart, whether I say it out loud or not. God, we are grateful that you are rich in mercy, and yet you do call us to repent and end our wicked ways. Lord, if there is wickedness in us, would you root it out? Lord, if there are ways we have contributed to the divisions, Lord, would you root it out? We acknowledge that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And Jesus, it is you and only you that we look to for strength and forgiveness and mercy. Amen.